Part Four of the Watsons. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Gesine. The Watsons, a fragment of a novel by Jane Austen. Part Four. On the third day after the ball, as Nanny, at five minutes before three, was beginning to bustle into the parlour with the tray and the knife-case, she was suddenly called to the front door by the sound of as smart a rap as the end of a riding-whip could give, and though charged by Miss Watson to let nobody in, returned in half a minute with a look of awkward dismay to hold the parlour-door open for Lord Osborne and Tom Musgrave. The surprise of the young ladies may be imagined. No visitors would have been welcome at such a moment, but such visitors as these, such a one as Lord Osborne at least, a nobleman and a stranger, was really distressing. He looked a little embarrassed himself, as on being introduced by his easy, voluble friend, he muttered something of doing himself the honour of waiting upon Mr. Watson. Though Emma could not but take the compliment of the visit to herself, she was very far from enjoying it. She felt all the inconsistency of such an acquaintance, with the very humble style in which they were obliged to live, and having in her aunt's family been used to so many of the elegancies of life, was fully sensible of all that must be open to the ridicule of richer people in her present home. Of the pain of such feelings Elizabeth knew very little. Her simple mind, or juster reason, saved her from such mortification, and though shrinking under a general sense of inferiority, she felt no particular shame. Mr. Watson, as the gentleman had already heard from Nanny, was not well enough to be downstairs. With much concern they took their seats, Lord Osborne near Emma, and the convenient Mr. Musgrave, in high spirits at his own importance, on the other side of the fireplace, with Elizabeth. He was at no loss for words, but when Lord Osborne had hoped that Emma had not caught cold at the ball, he had nothing more to say for some time, and could only gratify his eye by occasional glances at his fair neighbour. Emma was not inclined to give herself much trouble for his entertainment, and after hard labour of mind, he produced the remark of its being a very fine day, and followed it up with the question of, "'Have you been walking this morning?' "'No, my lord. We thought it too dirty.' "'You should wear half-boots.' After another pause. "'Nothing sets off a neat angle more than a half-boot. Nankeen galoshed with black looks very well.' Do you not like half-boots? Yes, but unless they are so stout as to injure their beauty, they are not fit for country walking. Ladies should ride in dirty weather. Do you ride? No, my lord. I wonder every lady does not. A woman never looks better than on horseback. But every woman may not have the inclination or the means. If they knew how much it became them, they would all have the inclination, and I fancy, Miss Watson, when once they had the inclination, the means would soon follow. Your lordship thinks we always have our own way. That is a point on which ladies and gentlemen have long disagreed, but without pretending to decide it, I may say that there are some circumstances which even women cannot control. Female economy will do a great deal, my lord, but it cannot turn a small income into a large one. Lord Osborne was silenced. 
Her manner had been neither sententious nor sarcastic, but there was something in its mild seriousness, as well as in the words themselves, which made his lordship think, and when he addressed her again it was with a degree of considerate propriety, totally unlike the half-awkward, half-fearless style of his former remarks. It was a new thing with him to wish to please a woman. It was the first time that he had ever felt what was due a woman in Emma's situation. But as he wanted neither in sense nor a good disposition, he did not feel it without effect. "'You have not been long in this country, I understand,' he said, in the tone of a gentleman. "'I hope you are pleased with it.' He was rewarded by a gracious answer, and a more liberal full view of her face than she had yet bestowed. Unused to exert himself, and happy in contemplating her, he then sat in silence for some minutes longer, while Tom Musgrave was chattering to Elizabeth, till they were interrupted by Nanny's approach, who, half opening the door and putting in her head, said, "'Please, ma'am, Master wants to know why he bent to have his dinner.' The gentleman who had hitherto disregarded every symptom, however positive, of the nearness of that meal, now jumped up with apologies, while Elizabeth called briskly after Nanny to tell Betty to take up the fowls. "'I am sorry it happened so,' she added, turning good-humouredly towards Musgrave. "'But you know what early hours we keep.' Tom had nothing to say for himself. He knew it very well and such honest simplicity, such shameless truth, rather bewildered him. Lord Osborne's parting compliments took some time, his inclination for speech seeming to increase with the shortness of the term for indulgence. He recommended exercise in defiance of dirt, spoke again in praise of half-boots, begged that his sister might be allowed to send Emma the name of her shoemaker, and concluded with saying, "'My hounds will be hunting this country next week.' I believe they will throw off at Stanton Wood on Thursday at nine o'clock. I mention this in hopes of you being drawn out to see what's going on. If the morning's tolerable, pray do us the honour of giving us your good wishes in person. The sisters looked on each other with astonishment when their visitors had withdrawn. "'Here's an unaccountable honour," cried Elizabeth at last. "'Who would have thought of Lord Osborne's coming to Stanton?' He is very handsome, but Tom Musgrave looks all to nothing the smartest and most fashionable man of the two. I am glad he did not say anything to me. I would not have had to talk to such a great man for the world. Tom was very agreeable, was not he? But did you hear him ask where Miss Penelope and Miss Margaret were when he first came in? It put me out of patience. I am glad Nanny had not laid the cloth, however. It would have looked so awkward. Just the tray did not signify." To say Emma was not flattered by Lord Osborne's visit would be to assert a very unlikely thing, and describe a very odd young lady. But the gratification was by no means unalloyed. His coming was a sort of notice which might please her vanity, but did not suit her pride, and she would rather have known that he wished the visit, without presuming to make it, than have seen him at Stanton. Among other unsatisfactory feelings, it once occurred to her to wonder why Mr. Howard had not taken the same privilege of coming, and accompanied his lordship, but she was willing to suppose that he had either known nothing about it, or had declined any share in a measure which carried quite as much impertinence in its form as good breeding. 
Mr. Watson was very far from being delighted when he heard what had passed. A little peevish under immediate pain, and ill-disposed to be pleased, he only replied, "'Foo, foo, what occasion could there be for Lord Osborne's coming? I have lived here for fourteen years, without being noticed by any of the family. It is some foolery of that idle fellow Tom Musgrave. I cannot return the visit. I would not if I could.' and when Tom Musgrave was met with again, he was commissioned with a message of excuse to Osborne Castle on the too-sufficient plea of Mr. Watson's infirm state of health. End of Part 4